You're listening to a Bike Radar podcast tech talk with myself and Seb Stott, where we get nice and geeky about various bits of mountain bike tech. So welcome to Bike Radar's Tech Talk, uh, where we sort of try and delve a little bit geekier into some of the more technical aspects at the moment of mountain biking uh, and in the future into road bikes. So most mountain bikers will have a suspension fork on the front of their bike and many of you will have a shock in the back. Um, How they work, some people will sort of fully understand obviously, but sometimes it can be a bit of a mystery. There's an air spring or a coil spring on one side of your fork or at the back of the shotgun and the other side is the damper and that's what we're going to talk about today. What is a fork or a shock damper? What does it do? Why is it necessary? How important is it? Um, So with me is Seb Stott, he's our resident sort of geeky expert here on Bike Radar Um, and so yeah, Seb, what is a damper? Why is it important? So... um... So to start with, the, the spring is what um, absorbs and returns energy. So when you when you hit a bump or you land uh, a drop, mm-hmm. say, the spring will absorb energy and then release it. Mm-hmm. And, and on its own, it would kind of keep doing that almost indefinitely aside for friction and what have you. But you don't want uh, your bike to oscillate yeah. like, a, like a pendulum. You don't want it to kind of bounce. Uh, you want... So you need a damper to dissipate that energy. So basically what a damper does is turns kinetic energy, movement, into mm-hmm. heat okay. um, with with oil. Mm-hmm. And so basically oil is forced to flow through constricting constrictive valves mm-hmm. um, and that generates resistance, mm-hmm. um, uh, which opposes the motion, so a force which opposes the direction that the suspension is moving yep. and therefore dissipates that energy and turns it into heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the force that it, the force um, that it generates to resist the motion is dependent on the speed that the suspension is moving. Okay. That's the, so that's the key thing with dampers, and the key thing which makes them perform differently, mm-hmm. and which different dampers we we use terms that we might get into later like spiking or, mm-hmm. or harsh or supportive. You'll see these terms strewn through bike reviews, and it all comes down to what we call the damping curve, which is basically how the the, the force that the damper generates um, relates to the speed at which mm-hmm. it's being asked to move. Okay, um, and that and that curve basically defines how the damper works and feels on the trail. So we're talking here then about say the differences between a sudden impact when you land a drop, yeah, versus a more continual pressure on the fork or shock when you're loading your body weight through a corner. So when we talk about high speed and low speed damping, and we're talking about the shaft speed of the shock or the fork, basically how quickly it's compressing or rebounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously everyone says, oh, it's nothing to do with the speed you're going on the trail, it's the speed of the damper. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of true, except that if you're going faster on the trail mm-hmm. and you hit a given size bump, it will change the shaft for- speed. force the shaft speed to be potentially higher mm-hmm. um, so it is somewhat related to the speed that you go down the trail but but yeah you should have in your mind that the damping curve is to do with the speed of the damper the speed that your suspension is moving mm-hmm. okay so generally speaking most people you know say you've got an air fork and let's for yeah, the most, most people talk about air forks yeah. right okay you, you can adjust your air spring with with a shock pump quite easily um 
And that's quite a given as to how that works. Everyone basically understands that. To adjust the damper internally is a lot more complex and and it'll generally be a factory tune for a damper, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, most most forks, apart from at the very low end, will have adjustable rebound damping. Mm-hmm. Um, mid to high end forks will have adjustable compression damping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the high end, but yeah, but the, those those adjustments. If you only have one adjuster, it basically means it's a it's what's called a low speed adjuster. Mm-hmm. So um, that controls the size of a valve, um, which then once you've adjusted it, stays the same size. Mm-hmm. So you, they usually work by having a, uh, a rod valve, which, so when you turn the dial, either the compression or the rebound dial, it, it, it changes the size of, of, a, of a hole that the oil has to flow through, yeah. either on compression or rebound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once you finish adjusting it, that hole stays the same size. Mm. But then in parallel to that, you have a separate path the oil can flow through mm-hmm. so if you if you only had that fixed aperture that fixed size of hole for mm-hmm. the oil to flow through what you'd have is a a damping curve which kind of started off very low so you have very low force but then ramped up um i'm not going to say exponentially it's actually a quadratic so mm-hmm. so so it would be the damping force would be proportional to the square of the speed. Yeah. So if you hit something uh, which fo- caused the fork or shock to move twice as fast, you'd get four times as much force. Mm. Or, you know, so it would really ramp up and you'd have either little to no damping at low speed. So mm-hmm. the fork would be uh, very uncontrolled. It'd, at, be, at it'd go speed. back to that spring effect. Yeah, it, uh, kind of, yeah, at low speeds. Over small bumps, you'd have very little to push against in mm-hmm. terms of damping force. Uh, but then if you hit something hard, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden the force, the resistance of the damper would ramp up massively mm-hmm. and, and then you'd have spiking. So spiking is when um, the oil flow can't keep up with the speed that the damper is being asked to move at. Mm-hmm. So and it kind of chokes itself up. It chokes, yeah. You get a harsh feeling through the bars. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's caused by this effect, which if the hole that the oil has to flow through stays the same size... The force generated is proportional to the square of the speed. So mm-hmm. at high speeds, you get a really high resistance force. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's a separate, it's usually a separate oil flow path, which is variable. Uh, so you either have a spring pushing down on a, on a plate, mm-hmm. or you have things called shims, which just look like uh, little thin washers. Yeah, And the oil flows through the center of those, and then as the speeds increase, mm-hmm. the force increases, the pressure uh, uh, pushing on the plate increases, mm-hmm. or the shims. And the shims can either actually bend, right. or the plate can move on that spring. Mm-hmm. So as the pressure increases, the hole, the area through which the oil can flow, mm-hmm. gets bigger. Yeah. And that counteracts that, that ramping up effect, mm-hmm. that um, velocity squared effect. So you get a... Ideally, you, well, in a, a high-end damper, you have either a linear damping curve, so that twice as much damping speed means twice as much damping force, or, or more often, you have a digressive, mm-hmm. which means that um, 
for every doubling of, of, of shaft speed, you have less than a doubling of, of damping force. Mm -hmm. So the curve kind of flattens off mm -hmm. as you get to higher speeds. And thanks that, to that combination of the by, effectively a bypass. Yeah, so the, thanks to the, um, the oil flow path basically getting bigger. So, so if you imagine it as like a big crowd of people trying to push through a door, mm -hmm. if there's only one or two people per minute, mm -hmm. that the door is perfectly reasonable. It, you know, the oil can flow through no problem. Mm -hmm. But then if you have a big crowd of people trying to push through that small door, it would choke up and mm -hmm. people, would, people wouldn't get, be able to get through in time. And that, that leads to that spiking yeah. when the oil can't get through the hole or door fast enough. But if you imagine it like a barn door on a spring, like a spring-loaded barn mm -hmm. door, if there's enough people trying to get through the small door, mm -hmm. um, then the, they'll push up against the big barn door and, and eventually push that open. And the harder they push, the more pressure there is, the more that door will open, mm -hmm. and so the more people can go through. Um, so that means that the pressure is more consistent. Okay. It still rises with speed. Mm -hmm. you, you would never... well almost never have a force that drops off mm -hmm. as you get to higher and higher speeds, but but it, it should level off. Yeah. And that's what's called digressive damping curve. So so that's what most people are aiming for. I just say that barn door analogy with all the people, that wasn't even planned. <laughs> that was genius. Oh thank you. <laughs> Going back to what we were saying earlier, um, with low end forks that, that barn door, if you like, is is fixed by the factory. Mm -hmm. so, so there's this the spring force preloading on that barn door to keep it closed until it needs to open, mm -hmm. that's fixed. Unless you have a really high-end damper which has high-speed uh, damping adjustment. Yeah. In which case you can adjust uh, what you're usually doing with a high-speed compression adjuster is adjusting the preload on a spring, mm -hmm. a little spring that which pushes down on the plate or the shims, mm -hmm. um, and therefore... Um, dictates the amount of force, the amount of pressure that's needed before it opens up. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and also controls how, how, how readily and, and how much it will open up at very yeah. high speeds. So um, that does give you an element of control over the higher shaft velocities, which is somewhat independent of the low, spe low speed mm -hmm. um, damping. Um, so that's what's meant by low and high speed damping. That's that's how it works. So that so the low speed damper adjusts that fixed mm -hmm. door, if you like, that fixed valve, that fixed mm -hmm. opening. But the high speed adjusts how much force it takes to open that parallel high speed valving, mm -hmm. um, so that that can release the pressure at higher speeds and compensate for that um, quadratic increase in force as you get to higher speeds. So the, I think the the high speed and low speed compression damping is something that a lot of people or more people understand. The one thing sort of that has come on more modern high end forks is the high speed and low speed rebound damping. Yes. Just sort of as a, a brief sort of tangent to what we, we we are talking about, can you just quickly talk us through where high and low speed rebound comes into play? Yeah. So as you say. The vast majority of forks and dampers just have low-speed rebound damping, mm -hmm. and the high-speed uh, side is preset. It it works in very similar way to what we've just described. Mm -hmm. um, the kind of door analogy that that's it works in a similar way. Um, 
but the input is different. So with compression, the speed is dictated by the size of a drop you're landing or the size of a bump you're hitting, mm -hmm. um, as well as how kind of rigidly you're holding onto the bike. That will dictate how fast the fork needs to move out of, way, yeah. out of the way. Whereas on the rebound side, um, the, the shaft speed is dictated by the damping and by the spring force. Mm -hmm. So basically, the, the deeper you are into the travel and the more progressive your spring mm -hmm. or the firmer your spring, the more force will be on the rebound damping. Um, so you can roughly think of the high and low speed rebound damping as beginning and end stroke mm -hmm. rebound damping. And that's that's how RockShox describes it mm -hmm. in their, their Vivid shocks that had high and low speed rebound damping. They called it beginning and end stroke right. because that's easier for the consumer to understand. Yeah. Um, and and roughly speaking, that's that's quite a helpful way of thinking about it because you're going to get those higher speeds only when there's a high force on the damper. Yeah. And there's only a high force on the damper when you deepen the stroke. So when you so for example, when you land a jump really hard and you hit the ground and sometimes you can kind of bounce mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, that's because the force from the springs is really high because they're it's really fully compressed, fully right? fully compressed. So you're getting that massive spring force trying to push you back. Uh, to the sag point as fast as possible. Um, so that will give you high shaft velocities in the rebound direction. Mm. And with these very high-end dampers, uh, Fox's Grip 2 damper mm -hmm. in the forks and the Float X2s, uh, the Vivid uh, the vivid shocks we've described, yeah, you can tune that end stroke, oh, well, that high-speed adjustment, which comes from the end stroke from a big impact, a big compression, mm -hmm. somewhat independently of uh, the low speed stuff, which generally happens closer to the sag point. Because when you're at the sag point, the discrepancy between uh, the spring force and the weight of the rider is generally going to be less. Yeah. So the speed is going to be less. So so you can kind of control that independently through the same method we described earlier with the the fixed pole and the uh, variable sized mm -hmm. hole, the high speed um, oil flow path. Um, but as I say, most forks, that's preset. Yeah. And most dampers, you have preset and you'll have a roughly digressive rebound curve mm -hmm. as well, just like the compression. So you have um, a decent amount of low speed control. So it, the, the fork or shock doesn't kind of overshoot at those lower speeds. You don't want it kind of uh, feeling uncontrolled and and overactive mm -hmm. when it's near the sag point. But you also don't want it to be pinged when you when you land a big impact and there's loads of force. Um, so you, you tend to have um, a roughly digressive spring curve to give you um, uh, to give you that low speed control but also but but also to you don't want too much high speed damping. Otherwise the the suspension won't be able to return from deep in the stroke. Right, because if you think about it, the further away you are from the sag point, the more urgent it is that the wheel returns towards the sag point, mm -hmm. uh, because you don't want to be using eighty percent of the travel after a bump, and then be conf confronted with another bump again while the fork or shock is still deep in the travel. You want it to return from deep in the stroke quite quickly, as quick as possible. Yeah. Uh, yes, but without being uncontrolled and, and kind of bouncing you. Yeah. Uh, so that's why rebound tends to be roughly digressive nowadays. Like rock shocks are really big into the digressive curves, where mm -hmm. they have 
quite a lot of low speed damping to to reduce that overshoot and to make the suspension feel more settled when it's near the sag point mm -hmm. but to give it that really quick recovery they they call it rapid recovery which is quite a gimmicky name for mm -hmm. a digressive rebound curve so that it recovers quickly from deep in the stroke right but that has the downside that um if you're hitting something hard you're using a lot of travel it can be a bit more pingy it can yeah. it can be a bit more lively when returning from deep in the stroke Whereas I think very broad brush strokes, uh, Fox generally go with a slightly less digressive rebound tune. Mm -hmm. And with the grip, grip two, with the adjustable high and low speed rebound, you can certainly make it less digressive yeah. by having a firmer rebound tune so that the damping curve is more linear. Right. Uh, so that means you have relatively more high speed damping so that it won't return, it won't recover quite as quickly from deep in the stroke, mm -hmm. but it will feel more calm and composed when you're uh, kind of landing a big jump mm -hmm. or what have you. And I think generally that setup is a bit safer, particularly on the rear shock, because you're less likely to kind of be kind of bucked, bucked and bounced off. when yeah. you land. So speaking then of, of setup, should we just talk through a few sort of real basic ideas of or yeah. tips on how to set up the and, and you know and then later on we're going to talk about the different dampers that are available from especially RockShox and, and Fox. But setting up yeah. your, your your damper, what baseline ideas? What what we're we going to do? You, you've done your air spring first, or you, you've got your coil spring set up, so you've got the sag right. Yeah. So um, yeah, first primary adjustment with suspension is always spring rate. You know, so how much air pressure you have in your air spring, or or the 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 pound per inch number on your your coil spring, uh, that obviously directly translates to sag. So twenty five percent sag would be quite firm spring rate. Um, thirty thirty five percent would be quite soft spring rate. Um, that's the primary adjustment, and then you have to set your damping to suit that. Yeah. So the firmer your spring rate, the firmer the rebound damping needs to be mm -hmm. to stop it, to to control that spring force mm -hmm. um, and to avoid you being kind of bounced or to avoid the suspension oscillating. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're aiming for, I think, is something that's uh, near to what's known as critical damping. Okay. So critical damping means that when you compress uh, the suspension, it will rebound, but then stay there. It won't overshoot. Okay. So, so it will. So, say you land uh, on the ground, mm -hmm. and your suspension goes down towards eighty percent travel, mm -hmm. and then it rebounds. Say you've set your sag to thirty percent travel. It rebounds to thirty percent, but then doesn't really overshoot and just settles at thirty percent. Mm -hmm. So, critical damping is the minimum amount of damping which satisfies that criteria, so it doesn't yeah. overshoot. But I think for for mountain bikes, because you can control a lot of the big movements with your arms and legs and stop yourself from being bucked or or pinged off the ground by just absorbing uh, and with your arms and legs, which your arms and legs are effectively very firmly damped because they, mm -hmm. they can't move that quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so you can control the, some of that movement and therefore with a bicycle, because that movement is really important because you weigh much more than your bike. Yeah. Um, you can get away with having it lighter damped, so that's called underdamped. Um, anything lighter than critically damped is 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 technically known as underdamped. But that, I, I'm by that I'm I'm still meaning, still quite close to critically damped. So mm -hmm. it will 
the suspension in that scenario will just overshoot mm-hmm. the sag point and then settle down. Yeah. It certainly shouldn't be kind of oscillating up and down mm-hmm. until it fi- eventually settles. It should maybe slightly overshoot and that's it. And then, so so I did a video a while ago talking about suspension setup. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. It's something like... We, we'll link it on Bike Radar. Yeah, we'll, but... we'll link it in the description. It's called something like how to get your suspension setup dialed in 10 minutes or something. Yeah. It's basically, so what I do in practice is just ride off a curb. Yeah. And then with your bum sat on the saddle so that so that your body is taken out of the equation and you're basically just sitting on the bike. Nice and rigid. Like almost. a big sack of spuds doing nothing to absorb the energy in your body and just allow the suspension to do all the work. And if it overshoots slightly and then settles, that's about right. Kind of one oscillation, right? One, yeah, one, one overshoot yeah. and then settles down. If it's going up and down and up and down, that's way, that's nowhere near enough damping your, um, so the suspension will be too lively and it'll kind mm-hmm. of bounce you around. Um, whereas if it's, if it's not, overshooting at all it's probably overdamped and it's probably going to struggle to recover um and we're talking here though about the rebound damping on the rear shock yes so if it's not uh if you've got to that point where it's oscillating too much you're overshooting way too much you add a click or two clicks of rebound damping on the shock yeah. if it's not returning quick enough then you'll reduce the amount of rebound damping exactly and then the, the fork is a bit harder because um the fork is greatly fi- affected by friction. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get that same feeling. Um, but I think the best thing to do with a full suspension bike, the way I do it in practice, is to do that test that we just described with the curb mm-hmm. um, so that the, sus- the rear suspension is just overshooting once uh, nicely and then get the fork to feel like the rear shock. Mm-hmm. So the fork and shock should come up kind of together, yeah, um, nice and balanced. And if anything, I personally would set the fork to, to return slightly faster yeah, um, because you definitely don't want, as you're hitting really high-frequency bumps, you don't want your fork to be recovering more slowly than the shock because, because then, then you're going to go it's going to kind of steepen the head angle. Uh, so if anything, you want your fork to be a bit faster than the shock. Mm-hmm. You definitely don't want the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, I try and set the shock up as described, then get the suspension to feel nice and balanced, and if anything, air on the side of the fork being a little faster. Okay. And then, so it, that, that's the rebound circuit's effective setup. Not every shock, especially, and not all the forks will have compression damping adjustment. Uh, some, a, a lot of them, especially on the fork, yeah. will have, you know, in terms of almost like a lockout or towards it, you know, the grip yeah. has got a number of clicks, whatever it is. Um, and some of the Fox shocks, especially, have open mode compression adjustment as well. How how are we setting up compression adjustment on shocks and forks? Are we leaving them fully open that's, and just using the the? F- I mean, that's a matter. I think the rebound you can be quite prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you if you set it up in the way I described, it should be about right for yeah. most people. Some people might like it a bit more lively and, and more reactive to high-frequency stuff. Some people might like it more calm, especially if you're doing a lot of jumping. Yeah. But That's generally speaking, you're talking a, f- a click or two from that baseline we described. Compression damping is much more open to personal preference. Right. Um, personally, I ride a lot of kind of bike parky, high-frequency rocky stuff. Mm-hmm. And get quite sore hands and mm-hmm. fingers 
uh, quite readily. So I tend to, as a as a baseline, I tend to just run the compression fully open mm-hmm. um, because it gives you more comfort, allows the fork to react more quickly, uh, especially to rocky trails, and it um, it also allows you to carry more speed uh, over those flatter uh, rocky trails. Uh, where you're trying to maintain speed over bumps because the suspension can get out of the way more easily and mm-hmm. and less energy is lost to the damper mm-hmm. um, as you as you hit consecutive bumps. Um, and you'll notice that bikes with really firm compression damping uh, that aren't adjustable, you will you'll lose more speed and it's harder to maintain speed on on flatter rocky trails. Um, However, that means that the the bike is more likely to to move and pitch the chassis. The frame will um, kind of pitch more uh, readily under braking and and as you move around the bike. Um, But you can compensate for that to some extent by increasing the spring rate, Mm -hmm. especially of the fork. So if you're riding on steep terrain, uh, you could increase compression damping to stop it uh, diving under, especially under consecutive bumps. Mm Um, but it will still dive. Compression damping won't stop, won't hold your fork up exactly. Right. It will just slow the rate at which it dives into its travel. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, increasing compression damping or a much firmer compression damping setting will work for some people who aren't so concerned with hand comfort and aren't so concerned with maintaining speed on flatter, rough tracks. Yeah. Uh, Higher compression damping will give you a calmer feel. The bike will be less inclined to pitch. It will feel more kind of sure-footed and mm-hmm. and, and less less lively, mm-hmm. um, and 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 in a sense more predictable right. to ride. Um, so, yeah, to sum up, it, it, there's a massive it, amount of personal preference when it comes to compression damping. But I think I'm not alone in in running most. Most forks, at least, fully open. Fully open. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of journalists I've talked to have, have been in the same boat. Yeah. Um, if, if you're one of these riders who just suffer then with hand pain, you, you touched upon that and said, you know, you're like, but you're running your forks fully open. You've got your spring rate set up right. What what can you do? You know, is there anything that can be? What's the interplay then between the spring rate and the compression? Um, so. Uh, it's all about ban- balancing comfort with support. Mm. Uh, you want support to come from either the compression damping or the spring rate to to hold you up, to give you something to push against in corners and on the faces of jumps, um, and to um, to stop the bike diving and wallowing in corners and what have you. Um, but the compression and the spring rate do that in very different ways. Mm-hmm. So a higher spring rate will give you higher ride height, mm-hmm. have less sag, the bottom bracket will be higher, um, and prolonged braking, it will hold it up higher as mm. well. So, so more kind of static loads. Like if you're braking for 10 seconds, that's a static load. You know, you, your suspension has 10 seconds to settle into yeah. uh, whatever new uh, braking will steepen the geometry. It'll mm-hmm. raise the shock generally and compress the fork. Um, but if you're doing that steadily for 10 seconds, that's a steady state, and the suspension has time to just adjust to that pretty much no matter what your damping is doing. Um, but the damping will um, give you more to push against um, on a, a shorter kind of time scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're just pushing into a, a lip of a small jump, 
you know, you're talking about a second or less, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. It will it will steady the uh, the suspension from compressing in those kind of situations. The the spring rate is a more consistent way of holding the bike up in the travel, uh, but that may not be what you want. You may want the bike to settle into this travel, mm -hmm. have lots of sag, so the bottom bracket is lower, the bike is, sits lower in its travel, and you have more negative travel mm -hmm. for the, the suspension to rebound to away, fall into away a hole. from this, exactly, yeah. away from the sag point to fall into a hole and give you more traction. Mm -hmm. So you might not want to have less sag. Mm -hmm. um, and you might still want to have something to push against in like small dynamic corners. Mm -hmm. um, also, I think the main difference is going back to what we said right at the very start, that a spring stores energy and a damper dissipates energy. So if you have if you have support more from the damper, um, then it will make the bike feel more calm. Mm. Um, whereas if you have the spring the, the spring rate to provide all your support, um, then that energy that you push into a corner or a jump uh, will be stored. And assuming your rebound rate is the same, uh, you'll have more energy to then give back so if you if you're getting bucked on a jump, uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, the rebound's too fast," and that may um, slowing down the rebound is certainly a good way to, yeah. to fix that problem. Um, but also, if you're if you make the compression damping firmer mm -hmm. uh, or and the spring rate softer, then more of the energy that you push into the face of the jump will be dissipated by the damper and less of it will be stored in the spring. Mm -hmm. So there's less energy to kind of ping you back yeah. and, and buck you uh, to begin with. So a higher compression damping setting is, is, is preferable for a kind of a, a kind of calm, predictable mm. feeling. Uh, and I think it works quite well if you're riding sort of steep, slow speed, technical terrain. Like we quite often go up to the Lake District, well, we have a couple of times gone up to the Lake District and roads that's sort of really slow speed, technical trails where you don't want your suspension to be moving that much. Yeah. You want it to be stable and the, and the bike to be predictable. Um, and increasing the compression damping, that kind of terrain is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Whereas I often ride and test at Bike Park Wales where it's not particularly steep, but it's very rough. And you're maintaining speed and trying to maintain your kind of hand comfort over long, really rough, rocky tracks. And for that, mm -hmm. minimizing compression damping is, I think, a good idea. We talked a lot about the the impact of of compression damping on you as a rider. You know, the comfort through the hands or this sort of thing. But how does it work then with the, the other way? Traction is really important on a bike so it, it can adjusting the compression and the rebound and all that how does that have an impact on on traction and grip levels and things like that um yeah again it, it's there's no simple answer um i think having your rebound in that in that critical damping zone will will offer the the, the best results in terms of traction because if it's if it's over damped it won't be able to recover from from bumps and so your, your suspension will kind of your tire will kind of skip from one bump to the next mm -hmm. rather than tracking the ground and filling in the holes so that the basically when you're talking about traction in terms of suspension you're talking about keeping the pressure on the tires as uniform as possible mm -hmm. as you go over chunky terrain um, so keeping the rebound damping uh, fast enough that it can track the ground but not so fast that you're getting kind of bounced off of things yeah so you don't want uh yeah so you don't want to 
you want the cement to, re to react fast enough to fill in the holes, but not so fast that it bounces you off of mm -hmm. bumps. Uh, and I think if you're in that critical damping zone or slightly faster than critical damping, you're you're in the right Good. sort of ballpark. Mm -hmm. um, and when it com comes to compression damping, again, like when we talked about, if you can soften the spring rate and increase the compression damping, then you'll be dissipating more of that energy mm -hmm. uh, in the damper so that you'll have less of that pinging, uh, pinging effect. Um, but also if you're increasing compression damping, you're, you're inhibiting how freely the fork moves out of the way. And so you'll increase the pressure uh, on the tire when it first hits the bump yeah. because the fork isn't moving out of the way as fast. Um, but then you will therefore transmit more uh, force to the frame. And so you, you may not um, have as much pressure on the tire on the other side of the bump. Mm -hmm. um, so compression damping is a difficult one, but uh, basically the firmer the spring rate, certainly a firmer spring rate will reduce traction because you have uh, less sag, so you have ne less negative travel for the wheels to fall into the holes. Mm -hmm. uh, and you also have uh, a suspension set up that's going to be less reactive to bumps. It's going to transmit more uh, movement to the frame mm -hmm. um, and soak up the bumps less readily. Okay. Um, should we, should we talk very quickly then about the different dampers on offer from... It's easy to concentrate on Fox and RockShox because they're the, the biggest manufacturers. Um, but let's take sort of like the Grip damper, the Grip 2. Mm. This is like a almost a new approach for dampers. Is that fair? Um, it's or a what, new what? approach. I'm not sure if it's new as such. But um, what's the difference then between a Fit 4 and a Grip 2? Because um, the yeah. you know Fox thirty six factory, you, you've got two options. Yeah, so the 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 Fit Four, for the main difference you'll notice is that the Fit Four has a lockout. Yeah, and the RC and the Grip Two has high and low speed compression and high and low speed rebound. So there's mm -hmm. a lot more to adjust. Um, internally, one of the main reasons Fox went down that road with the Grip dampers. This this is Grip and Grip Two, so the, yeah. the cheaper ones as well. They have. The damping oil is also the lubricating oil. Okay. So it's sort of like an open bath mm -hmm. that you get in like Marzocchi forks of old. Um, the advantage of that is that the seals on the inside of the damper can be less tight uh, because they can allow a little bit of lubricating oil to, to force its way into the damper when mm -hmm. you bottom out. Uh, and then it will just purge out of the top and recirculate. Okay. Um, so the advantage of that is that you can reduce friction mm -hmm. by having less tight seals. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't really talked about friction very much, but friction is a form of damping. It yeah. dissipates energy, turns it into heat, um, but it it works in terms of the damping curve in a kind of opposite way. So you have the, the highest damping force at zero speed. So friction... Um, basically prevents the suspension from moving at all. Mm. So you need a certain a certain size of bump to overcome the friction to make it move at all. Yeah. So friction, you really want to minimize because you really don't want to have any damping at zero speed. You, you want the damping to build with speed. Yeah. Um, so friction is the opposite of that. It, 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 it gives you the highest resistance at the lowest speeds. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, by 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 having that recirculating design, they can make the seals looser so they can have less friction, and that's mm -hmm. reducing friction is pretty much mm -hmm. uh, universally 
the a best. Good yeah. yeah, and yeah. they're trying to have it so that they don't need to separate the lubricating oil from the damping oil, basically. Right? Exactly. So they got damping oil with I think like Teflon or PTFE or something in it, which so it can act as damping oil and lubricating oil. Okay. Um, which allows them to have looser seals mm-hmm. in combination with a, a port which allows the excess oil to overflow at the top mm-hmm. when you use a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, there are other differences between these dampers too, of course. Um, the the main one is is in terms of how the... Well, I'm not sure if it's the main one, but um, the the way that the... So in the Fit4, you have a... Have a um, you have a shim stack which is pushed out of the way at higher speeds uh, or flexed at higher speeds. In the grip two, you have more like a um, a solid piston. It's okay. actually made of four shims, but they're they're very stiff, so they don't yeah. don't flex. The, f- the shims don't flex as much, but that piston is on a spring, and the preload of that spring is controlled by the high speed adjuster on the grip mm. two. Um, so uh, I think you get slightly less high-speed damping if you run it fully open, mm-hmm. as I do on that grip too. Uh, so basically, you have a more forgiving mm-hmm. fork, and that's probably the main difference that people notice. Okay. To be honest, is that it's a bit more forgiving on on high-speed impacts. Mm-hmm. It's certainly more forgiving than the old RC2 damper mm-hmm. uh, that it effectively replaces. Is is there anything similar on the Rockshock side of things? Then what's what are they doing with their top end and mid-range dampers? Uh, so with the Charger and the Charger 2 and now the Charger 2.1, they have, so that's a cartridge damper, so they have separate lubricating oil and, and damping oil. Um, they say they've worked with SKF to reduce the friction on there. Uh, so again, both RockShox and Fox are investing a lot in reducing friction mm-hmm. wherever they can. Again, you have a preloaded shim stack. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how much flex there is in the shim stack, and how, and but you have a, a preloaded spring which you adjust the preload of with, a, mm-hmm. with an adjuster. Uh, it, it, in that sense, it works in a, a similar sort of way in yeah. basic terms. Um, the charger damper is, when that came in, that was obviously RockShox's sort of top-end damper, and they've got the Charger 2, and then, say, the Charger 2.1 on these new Ultimate forks, you know, the Pike and the Lyric. Yeah. They've also got Charger RC dampers. They've got the cheap versions now coming in on... Revelations, Yaris, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So with the RC, you have you don't have high speed compression adjustment, mm-hmm. and you also don't have a lockout, mm-hmm. like a separate independent lockout, like you had on the the RCT three, yeah. which has rebound compression and a lockout, mm-hmm. three position lockout. Uh, so in the older Rockshox RC forks, uh, we sometimes noticed that they felt a bit harsher than yeah. the, the posher RCT3 ones and we like, weren't sure why that was initially. And according to John Kanzler at, at RockShox, uh, who heads up all the 35mm kind of mm-hmm. their forks, so from, from Pike to Boxer, um, they were basically making that shim stack a little stiffer so that the fork could have a, a decent lockout when you turn the compression adjuster mm-hmm. fully closed, it was more like a a, a lockout. Um, whereas in the RCT3, they didn't have to do that. They had a separate lockout plate that pushed yeah. down. Uh, and so the, the shim stack could be more, more forgiving, more forgiving and, and more tuned just for descending, just yeah. for open mode. Um, but I think with the latest 2020 forks, they've 
gone away from that philosophy a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's less designed, especially I think with the lyric, uh, they are less focused on the kind of lockout compromise mm-hmm. and are more on it's a it's a low speed adjuster now yeah. rather than a low speed adjuster that sort of functions as a lockout. It seems that lockouts are kind of getting out of fashion these days. You know, like Fit 4 is disappearing kind of, you know, with the Grip 2. Yeah, you know, this thing with rock shocks. I mean, Fit Four is still available. Yeah, and yeah, RCT three is still available. It's, I guess, it's more that enduro has become popular, and mm-hmm. especially I think in the UK, we're a bit of a bubble where we aren't interested in lockouts. We're not interested in we going up fire three, roads as efficiently plans, as possible. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, there's there's a growing uh, kind of trend towards outright mm-hmm. bump performance mm-hmm. rather than um you know uh, lockouts yeah. being quite so popular so i think before we, we sort of wrap up i was down at mojo rising yesterday and they're now distributing formula mm-hmm. suspension and brakes um and they the adjustment available on like the selva for example with the little cartridge that yeah. is user changeable they're pretty cool. Like they have this little—I don't know how long it's like—two centimeters long, maybe eight mil in diameter cartridge that you can pop in and out of the top of your fork, and you can change it to adjust the the damping yeah. of the fork. And there's a myriad of different options. You know, they have these little um, little discs that can be replaced, which have different numbers of holes. You know, bigger holes or more holes to give more forgiving damping. Yeah. But they also have now ones where there's like a groove around where these holes are into which like a little shim sits and yeah. you know that seems pretty user serviceable and pretty kind of cool because it's it's taking sort of damping adjustment almost to another user serviceable level yeah i mean the theory behind what they're doing is that you can have a very radically different damping curve mm-hmm. um by by you're basically changing the sh- the shim stack when mm-hmm. you're doing that so they have a little um, assembly with this with a shim on it, mm-hmm. and and I think it controls where the oil, how the how the oil flows past the shim, yeah. and, and where it where it sits, whether whether the oil comes around the edges or right in the middle of the shim. Um, but but you can have by that by doing that you can have um, either a very digressive damping curve, so that with each doubling in shaft speed you have less than mm-hmm. doubling of. Of force, or you can have a linear where doubling of shaft speed means a doubling of force. You can even have a progressive uh, valving where, for, with each doubling, you have more than a doubling of force. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kind of curve curves upwards in a progressive and curves downwards yeah. uh, in a digressive. So you can have very different damping curves, very different damping feel mm-hmm. uh, by changing those valves. Um, yeah, which. Which I think is, is is good. It's a bit like the fork offset thing we talked about earlier. It's kind of it's cool for us to experiment with, mm-hmm. but whether it's useful for the end user, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like with with um with particularly with high and low compression adjustment, you can tune the shape of the the damping curve a little bit. Yeah, certainly not to the extent, same extent that you can uh, with with those adjustable with those interchangeable mm-hmm. valves, but um, yeah, I mean, we've both ridden the Selva. Mm-hmm. I, I I rode the older one, which had a coil negative spring. Yeah, and I just didn't get on with the spring, so it, yeah, the spring didn't work for me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've now got a dual air spring, so 
yeah, it'd be interesting to test that again. Yeah, with the different valves. Um, I'm sure we'll be able. Well, Chris Porter is a well-known, you know, long-standing sort of friend of ours, so I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to have a play around and yeah, for sure, and, yeah. and see what the differences are. Mm. Is there anything else in the world of damping that you think we should try and cover off? Oh, or have we have we bored everyone to death already? <laughs> um, I think we've covered the basics. I mean, so damp- damping yeah. is basically there to to control the the movement of your air spring. Your air spring is there to oh, your spring, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's yeah there to sort of control to make sure that you're you're not bucked around, but to make sure that you maintain traction, comfort, and control of your mountain bike. So it is really important to get it upset properly. And yeah. you know, if you pop on Google and search bike radar, you know, ten minute suspension setup or something like that. Yeah, you should be able to find it. There's a lot of really good info out there, and yeah. it's really handy to get it right because it will make a real important difference to how well your bike handles if you've not spent much time setting yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. But to to underline a point we made earlier, the, the absolute primary thing is the spring rate mm-hmm. and then the rebound damping. Like Those two adjustments are the, the absolute most important thing. And I think with really four-way adjustable dampers and, and all this, you can get a bit sidetracked from mm-hmm. the really important thing, which is like, how much sag have you got? How is your rebound behaving? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the most important things to get right. Okay. So I think we'll wrap that. That was our tech talk on dampers. Um, keep an eye out for more tech talk topics. We're going to be talking about tyres, wheel sizes, geometry, springs, uh, and we've also done one on fork offset as well. So Keep an eye out on Bike Radar and on iTunes, Acast, whatever you're listening to this on. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.